0: Hi, everyone, and another very warm welcome back to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for mental health, love, and compassion. We're so glad you could join us again. My name's Caroline Heim, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. Hello. And today we're going to be starting a new series on pleasure and addiction. So, this episode is an overview of pleasure and addiction, and it's part of a three part series called Pleasure and Addiction. So, I'm really interested in what we're talking about this podcast. So what are we talking about?
1: In this podcast, it's mostly pleasure and purpose and how to connect them to make sure that you experience pleasure all your life. And then we'll have a bit of an overview of addictions. We'll look at the question as to whether there is an addictive personality, what your risk factors for addiction are, some of the statistics, some treatment, but more than anything, How to prevent addictions in your life.
0: Okay, so a brief summary of the three-part series?
1: Of the three-part series, the basic premise is if you go for the pleasure first, you'll often find misery and pain. But if you can connect your pleasure to purpose, you'll have a winner for your brain. You see, a lot of people skate the thin ice between pleasure and addiction. All of us, absolutely all of us want pleasure. But nobody actually wants addiction. And yet so many people who go for pleasure end up finding pain.
0: Sounds like it's going to be an interesting ride. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So how do you find pain if you go for pleasure?
1: I suppose the easiest way to answer that is if I would use an example, and I'll call this guy Josh. Josh is somebody that I worked with many years ago, and he just wanted to feel good. Like a whole lot of other people, he just wanted pleasure, but his pleasure became amphetamines, speed. And the way that he found pain through that was, yes, the amphetamines gave him pleasure, no doubt about that. But he ended up in financial ruin. He ended up with a lot of people really arguing with him a lot. And it got to the stage that he almost lost his fiance, the girl that he actually loved. And by the time he came to see me, she came with him And she was just in tears. I mean, she said to me, look, I really love Josh, but I can't marry somebody who is addicted to drugs. There's not gonna be room for amphetamines and me in the relationship. So fortunately for Josh, we worked hard on his addiction and he got over it and that was a lot of work. And I gotta say to anybody, if you come across somebody who has overcome an addiction, please congratulate them because it is a truckload of work. They've learned a few really hard lessons along the way, but it's worth the congratulations.
0: So pleasure is something, though, that we all want. Okay, so can we go for pleasure without getting addicted?
1: You can most definitely go for pleasure without getting addicted. In fact, more than 90% of the population are able to do that. Here's the thing, though, to protect you against addictions, you've got to know what pleasure actually is, because your ideal life is a life of purpose punctuated by short-term pleasure and long-term pleasure and that's what these podcasts are really about. So pleasure, happiness, what can we say about pleasure? What is it? Happiness and pleasure, yeah, they do go in the same breath because if we experience pleasure, then we have a lot more happiness. And let's face it, we're we're actually all after a life of happiness, contentment, and joy. But From a scientific point of view, pleasure is a bit different. Pleasure is a bodily sensation. It's an emotional feeling too, and we acquaint it with happiness and contentment. But the purpose of pleasure is to give you a reward so that you will repeat whatever experience you had that led to pleasure. That's the scientific point of view. Other than that, I can tell you I'm heavily into pleasure. I love it. I would like more of it in my life. Uh, I already have a lot of it in my life. Pleasure is good for you. It's healthy. But here's the thing. If it's connected to purpose, then you can have pleasure all lifelong. And that's how nature wants it for us. Can you really have pleasure
0: all lifelong? Well. I mean, there's
1: a lot of suffering. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Life is tough. And there's a lot of stuff that is not predictable. But, you know, it breaks my heart when I see people who actually go for pleasure and they end up increasing their suffering because they're going for pleasure. So I suppose if you're going to go for pleasure, let's make sure you get pleasure out of it. That's why I want you to connect pleasure and purpose, which will give you pleasure now and in the future. Here's the paradox. People who go for pleasure first often end up in a lot of pain. The people who go for purpose first often end up with the most pleasure. Okay, so let's unpack that a bit. How does that paradox work? All right, let's take chocolate. You're fond of chocolate at all. I love chocolate, particularly white chocolate. Particularly white chocolate. So imagine you've got one piece of white chocolate in front of you and it gives you pleasure. So you have 16 pieces of white chocolate, 32 pieces of white chocolate. It'll get to the stage where chocolate will make you sick. You've got instant pleasure making you sick. Same with speeding in a car. It'll get to the stage where you've got a lot of traffic fines. Uh, If you have an accident, then you've caused pain for yourself and other people. Uh, Sex, sex feels fantastic. But if you manipulate other people into sex, then you increase pain for them. And if you yourself start making mistakes, you end up with a sexually transmitted disease. You start feeling bad about yourself and you've caused pain for yourself. Same with drugs. Drugs have a lot of health Side effects, they cause accidents, they cause arguments, and all of these things, if you go for the pleasure first and you end up with too much of it, you end up in pain. It's kind of like you get in that
0: pleasure roundabout, isn't
1: it? Okay. The the pleasure treadmill. Yeah. Yeah, Want more, want more, want more. Yeah. So how do you get more pleasure if you go for purpose? So let's take any purpose and see what it leads to. Uh, For example, if you finish a university degree, now I'm sorry you've put a lot of effort into that. It's caused you some work, some suffering, even some pain. But at the end, you've got the pleasure. Nobody can take that degree away from you. You did it, okay? You brought it through to the end. If you didn't finish it, then you don't have that pleasure. Or if you help somebody else in need, one of the biggest pleasures in life is actually helping somebody else because you increase your pleasure for yourself, and you decrease suffering for somebody else. And it actually brings you pleasure having that purpose. Or I actually have a friend who was a carpenter, and he took me for a tour around town, and he would point out, see that house? I worked on that one. We'd go past somewhere else, and he'd say, see that one? I worked on that one. And he said, see that one? I built most of that house myself. And the pleasure that he was getting because he had a life of purpose as a carpenter Was immense. So these people and you, if you go for the purpose first, end up with a lot of pleasure. Okay. Well, why do we want the pleasure in the first place? Well, I suppose we get to look at this next podcast a lot. We want the pleasure because of the action of dopamine in the brain. We actually have a pathway called the reward pathway. And it just feels so damn good, all right? Uh, The thing is, though, we have to control it. The aim is to get pleasure all of our life long, and that's what we'll be looking at in the third podcast, techniques to get pleasure all your life.
0: Okay, that's in the future. So is there something we could discuss now to help get pleasure all life long?
1: Yes. Make a pact with your future self. Say, future self, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to enjoy yourself as well. If you make this connection, connecting your pleasure with your future, already you'll have a lot more pleasure. All right. So let's say you want a big night out. Well, give yourself the big night out after you pass the exam. Tell yourself you will reward yourself after you've finished the assignment. Play your uh, internet games, but play them after you've done three hours of study. Then you've got your goals in place, you're working towards them, and you're using pleasure as a reward to drive you towards that future. It's all about work first, play later. And that's all about delaying gratification.
0: Uh Aha, delaying gratification.
1: Let's talk about that. All right, delaying gratification. Work first, play later. Instant gratification is I want it and I want it now. Delaying gratification is I want it, but I can wait for it and I can work for it. And the pleasure is greater. All right, so let's take a modern day cliche. I'll call this modern day cliche, Adam. Adam doesn't have a job, but he's ap- up to level 16 in an internet game and he's doing really well on the internet game, but his life is four walls and his bed and a screen rather than sunshine and job satisfaction. All right. He's getting a lot of instant gratification. He's getting uh, pleasure by all that he plays, but his life is not going forward. So there will come a day when Adam's just not satisfied because he's giving up sunshine, the ability to contribute to society and to have good decent relationships, all to get to level 17. And here's the thing, the more anything satisfies instant gratification, the more addictive it is. Screens, drugs, compulsive shopping, gambling, and they all bring pain. Whereas things that delay gratification, building a house, working on a relationship, learning a language, or playing hockey, they all bring long-term pleasure and contentment. I mean, people playing hockey, if they win a tournament, they get a lot of pleasure. Even the losing team gets a lot of pleasure because you have tried, you have pushed your boundaries, and that's one of the greatest pleasures that we have in life, to see what we're capable of. Or think of friends who get together and say, all right, we're going to walk the mountains in the Andes. Now, that takes months of working on your fitness, making sure your mountaineering skills are there, getting all your um, food and all your equipment ready and getting the financial resources But when you're on top of those mountains and you look over the Andes, snow-covered peak after snow-covered peak, there is no pleasure like it. The pleasure is great. Okay, so let's get bigger. Let's say that there are people in a city that say, we want to host the Olympic Games. The effort that that's going to take, the work, the pain, the hard slog, and if it comes off, The pleasure for those people, the pleasure for the people in the city, the pleasure for billions of people around the world is just so great that pleasure is not even the right word anymore. So here's the thing. If you enjoy short-term pleasures, don't let them get in the way of your long-term goals. Connect your pleasure with your future purpose. Use pleasure as rewards and incentives.
0: So I guess you've actually never treated hockey addiction.
1: Hockey addiction? No, it's not a problem.
0: Okay, great. All right, so say I have a problem with food. Food. Yes. Uh, Let's talk about that a little bit. So Tim Tams. Tim Tams. The wonderful chocolate cookies, the Americans call it, and we call them biscuits with the lovely chocolate-coated pack of Tim Tams which I love.
1: Yes, my mouth's watering already.
0: Okay, so um, what if I have a problem with with food, with
1: Tim Tams? All right. If you eat too many Tim Tams, it's going to get to the stage where you're going to get sick, you're going to put on weight that you don't want, and you're not going to feel good about yourself. But if you're shrewd, if you can say, okay, I'm going to make a pact with my future self to say, you can enjoy these Tim Tams as long as you get some study done, some work done, so you use the Tim Tams as an incentive to do two or three hours study, then your future self gets a whole lot of pleasure as well as you getting the Tim Tams. Great. I like that idea. I still get the Tim Tams. Oh, That's yes. the main thing.
0: Okay, so what sort of things can I become addicted to?
1: You can actually become addicted to anything that relieves stress and makes you feel good. But addictions tend to cause you harm as well. Uh playing football can relieve stress, watching sunsets can make you feel good, listening to music can do both, but they don't actually do you harm. When we talk about addictions, we're talking about things like alcohol, drugs, gambling, the internet, all these things, they relieve stress, they make you feel good, but they harm you as well.
0: What's the definition of
1: being addicted? All right. I suppose there are a lot of boring definitions out there, but the one that I like is not too boring. It's a bit like this. Being addicted is not being able to stop something even when you want to. You recognize that it's doing you harm, but you just can't help it. Drinking alcohol, taking drugs, gambling. These are the sort of things that I hear. I just can't help it. I've got to have it, even though it's doing you harm. That to me is being addicted.
0: And how do I know if I'm addicted to something?
1: try doing without it for about a month. If you can do without it, then you're not addicted. If you can't, well, maybe. Okay, all right,
0: so can I be addicted to something like my cat? I'd hate to do without my puddy cat for a month.
1: Yeah, look, love does have a bit of an addictive quality to it, but your cat is not gonna be doing you too much harm, all right? So from a clinical point of view, that's not an addiction. Clinically, we look for three things evidence of tolerance, withdrawal, and a loss of function.
0: Uh, psych talk it again. Can okay. you talk about those three? Let's start with tolerance.
1: Tolerance. Okay, tolerance simply means needing more of something to sa- to feel the same amount of pleasure. So somebody who has been drinking for years might need five or six drinks because before they feel a bit tipsy, whereas somebody who has just started drinking, only needs one, okay? That's what we call tolerance. The body builds up a tolerance to whatever it is that you're having. Okay, and withdrawal. Withdrawal means when you stop the stuff, you get side effects, okay? So uh, when you're addicted to something like alcohol, your body actually craves the alcohol when you don't have it. In alcohol, a lot of people start shaking and get quite anxious when they don't have alcohol, or somebody who's addicted to screens or their phone, uh, what they do is they get quite irritable if they don't have their phone nearby them, or they get angry, or they get sullen, and the only way that this is relieved is by giving them their phone back, and that shows that they could be addicted because they're withdrawal signs. Okay. What about function? Function is actually the big one because if your work suffers, if your study suffers, or if people that you're in relationship with leave you, like Josh almost lost his fiance, because of your substance, that actually shows that you're addicted. Hmm.
0: So this is something I hear a lot and it seems to be a justification or something I think at times. Is there such a thing as an addictive personality?
1: So the short answer is yes and no. So there are things that we have studied that show that make people more prone to being addictive and it's basically two things. Um, Being impulsive and having the kind of personality that, Needs a lot of novelty. Now, the thing is that we all need novelty and we're all impulsive to some degree. But there are a few things that you can have in your personality that will protect against an addiction. And this is basically stickability or what we call conscientiousness. Being able to commit to to your goals and values, to feel that you are in control of your brain, to have that belief that I can make a difference. If you have those sort of cognitions, thoughts, then perhaps you'll be less prone to being addicted. The problem with the idea of an addictive personality is people use it as a justification and sometimes people use it as an excuse not to be able to get off their addictions. And so they end up being defeated. And there are just two points I want to make on this. Firstly, anybody can get addicted. Anybody who has a brain can get addicted. And second point I want to make is anybody who has a brain can also overcome their addiction. It can take a lot of work and a lot of effort, but you can overcome an addiction.
0: So what sort of things would increase
1: my chances of getting addicted? So we're looking at risk factors again, and they're kind of the same sort of risk factors for depression. If you might remember GP core, genetics, personality, chronic stress, abuse, life events, And a lack of love, they're all the ones that I had down as my risk factors for depression, but they're also risk factors for addiction. There is definitely a genetic component when we look at something like alcohol. We've just talked about the role, however small it is, that personality plays, there's definitely a role there. Chronic stress, it's the reason that we want to feel good in the first place, we want to relieve stress. Then there's reality of abuse and unfortunately we have studies that show that people who have been physically and sexually abused are at a much higher risk for drug addiction in particular and unfortunately that's what I get to see a lot in my practice. Then there are life events and loneliness and we have studies to show that loneliness in particular predisposes you to alcoholism. Mm.
0: So we have a lot of all of those things you're talking about in our societies. So how much of a problem is addiction?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose that's why we're talking about addiction so much in our society at the moment, Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's a pleasure-based society, but... It's also a loneliness-based society, which means that the loneliness drives people to pleasures which can potentially get them addicted, which is why this is such a hot topic, if you like. We want the pleasures, but we don't want the addictions.
0: Okay, so how much of a problem is it?
1: Oh, okay. All right, so big problem. All right, and I've got a little theory as to why it's become such a big problem, particularly in the last 30 years. And I actually think it has to do with screen technologies, because never in the history of humankind has our brain engaged with one thing, a screen, for so many hours of the day. For some people, it's six, eight or more hours a day. And look, the way our computers and our cell phones have been designed, they really give us dopamine hits, and we'll be talking about the action of dopamine in the brain next podcast. But it means that it keeps us primed for pleasure all the time, if you like. So if we look at some specific addictions, really quite some worrying trends, okay? Shopping, for example. One study showed that 20% of us are shopping too much. We're addicted to shopping. One in five people are getting harmed through their shopping That's terrible. It's a lot. It's a lot. Sex. Sex is something we all get pleasure out of. Sex was designed to bring us pleasure, but 3% of the population are actually addicted to sex. Now, they get short-term pleasure, but they get long-term pain. It's usually associated with depression or mania or gambling, and really, people who are addicted to sex have a life of misery. Then there's a big one drugs. Now, we have one study that shows that people in their 20s, about 30% of them will experiment with drugs, but somewhere between 3 and 5% of the whole adult population are addicted to drugs. Now, that actually shows that not everybody gets addicted, but that's a lot of people who go for pleasure that end up in pain. And here's the big take-home message about drugs. Many can handle a little, but nobody can handle a lot.
0: Okay, so that's for drugs and alcohol, I guess. Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah, yeah. alcohol
0: is basically a drug. All right, can you use drugs, so without being addicted?
1: Yes, you can. And we've basically got three broad categories of usage, if you like. There are people who use drugs, there are people who abuse drugs, and there are people who are dependent on drugs. And people who are dependent on drugs, they have high tolerance, they have withdrawal symptoms, and they can't function. I'll use alcohol as an example. If you have a glass of wine with your meal every night, you are using alcohol. You are not abusing it and you are not dependent on it. If you have a big binge every Friday night, then you are abusing alcohol because it is doing you harm and it is putting you in a situation where you could do other people harm as well. That's abuse of the substance. When you get to the stage where you're dependent on alcohol, that's when you need to drink every day. Your life revolves around alcohol. And again, it's a good idea to use the one month test. If you could go one month without alcohol, then you're probably not dependent on it. In fact, there are a lot of people who drink a lot of alcohol that will do what's called dry July, go for all of July without any alcohol. And you can find out for yourself if you're a user, an abuser, or if you're dependent on alcohol. Just be careful because withdrawal from alcohol can actually be life-threatening.
0: All right, so let's look at some of these addictions in more detail. I think we'll just have a look at a few. So let's start out with a pretty obvious one, which is smoking.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty obvious one, but it's a very, very sad one because I have worked with so many people to try to get them to give up smoking. And I'm going to use the example of a guy that I will call Giovanni, who was in his mid-60s, and uh, he was a good-natured fellow who was just making ends meet for his family and his daughter was about to have his first grandchild. And before she did, he had a heart attack. And this was because of smoking. And he still wouldn't give up smoking. And a couple of weeks before his grandchild's birth, he had a heart attack that killed him, which means that there's somebody out there called Tino whose birthday always brings sad memories as well. And that was all due to smoking. And it makes me really sad because smoking is one of the most ridiculous addictions there are because people pay the price of a luxury holiday every year for the privilege of coughing up phlegm, spluttering out sputum, smelling like an ashtray, and dying a slow death. Ooh. Sounds gruelling. Yeah, yeah, but why? And 15% of adults still smoke. And we've just had a big study come out that basically shows that smoking triples your risk of stroke, doubles your risk of heart attack, and smoking a little bit isn't too much better than smoking a lot. So as soon as you can give up smoking, that would be wonderful.
0: There's your doctor's hat
1: on. There's my doctor's hat, yes. Okay, all right. Let's talk about gambling. Gambling is a very interesting addiction because there's no substance involved. You don't sort of take anything into you. But it still releases the same reward chemicals in your brain, dopamine. Now, over 80% of people gamble for fun, and it's not a problem. They can handle it. But for 5% of people... It causes financial strain, relationship problems, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression and sometimes even criminal activity and it's really difficult to treat. That's what we call pathological gambling.
0: Okay, and the 21st century addiction, internet addiction.
1: Yes, internet addiction. What am I going to say about internet addiction? It's a big serious problem and it's not really taken terribly seriously because in a sense, We're all addicted to the internet. We all use it. It is part of our day-to-day lives. But internet use disorder is now recognized as a mental illness. And what happens is shutting down for some people means anxiety, anger, depression, as well as things like obesity, fatigue, and underachievement at life. There are so many people that could be doing so much more with their life, but they're not. So here's the science. Screen technologies are rewiring our brains. It decreases empathy. It shortens our attention span. It actually shrinks part of the brain. It slows down brain development. It lessens IQ. Maybe that's why Silicon Valley CEOs send their kids to device free schools. I'm not too sure about that. Now, look, these are all really bad side effects of a wonderful technology. But please keep your internet use in some sort of perspective. Try to go one day a week without any technology, just to get rid of the pain and make sure that you don't get addicted.
0: Okay, so we could be sort of putting pleasure in the bad camp here. So what's wrong with wanting to feel good?
1: Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with feeling good. And let me put pleasure in the good camp. All right. I am all for pleasure. I actually want people to experience more and more pleasure. And that includes sexual pleasure. That includes enjoying a laugh. It includes enjoying a drink. It includes a lot of things, but it doesn't include addiction because that's when the pain comes in. Loneliness feels bad. And so people who are lonely want to feel good. And unfortunately, they often do it through alcohol. Abuse feels bad and Like anybody else, people who've been abused want to feel good, but they do it in drug addiction. Here's the thing. There are lots of things that make you feel good. Do them. Pat the dogs. Ride horses. Share hugs. Play games. Listen to music. Have great relationships. Have wonderful sex. But if things that make you feel good in the short term cause you pain in the long term, don't. So if you're lonely, instead of going for alcohol, combat the loneliness. Put in goals and plans to find people in your life. If you have been abused in your life, don't treat it with drugs. Treat it with therapy. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so how are any of these addictions treated then? Go to a psychiatrist or what?
1: Yeah, you can go to a psychiatrist, you can go to a psychologist, you can go to group meetings, you can go straight to a doctor. There are many ways of treating addictions, depending on what the addictions are. There are medications that help. There are rehab programs that help. There is no definitive answer. I believe that each individual will find an answer for themselves. Um, And that's another big topic. But what I really want to concentrate on is prevention. So how do you prevent addictions? Firstly, the good news. Most people, over 90% of us go through life without being addicted to anything. Okay, that's good. The difficult years are actually in your teenage years and in your early twenties, when you are finding out who you are. And part of that, for some people, is experimenting with experiences that you haven't had before. And for some people, that includes addictive substances, right? This is understandable, but you want to be able to do that without getting addicted. Now, if 30% of young people try drugs, remember, only 5% of them end up addicted. So that's good. Most people do not get addicted. But if you feel that you're getting pretty, uh, addicted, you've got to stay away. You need a mindset to protect you against going for addictive pleasures.
0: Okay. Well, what about just being pragmatic and just saying no?
1: Just say No is great, it helps, but it usually isn't enough. You need a reason to say no. And here are the reasons that I'm going to give you. If it's not connected to the purpose, if it's not connected to the future, if it's not taking care of your future self, there is a risk that will bring you more pain than pleasure.
0: And to do that?
1: To do that, delay gratification. Now... It was Walter Mischel who did a famous experiment where he took four and five-year-olds and he gave them a choice. He said, you can have a marshmallow now, or if you wait 15 minutes, you can have two marshmallows. And it was right there. Either you delay gratification and you get more, or you get the something that you want straight away. And they looked at the people who could delay gratification over decades And they did better academically, socially, in health parameters, and they did better in all of life. So if you can become one of those people that delay gratification, you can actually do better in life. And here's the good news. Your brain can learn to delay gratification. You can learn to connect pleasure with the future. And this is how you do it. You give yourself a pleasure as a reward For effort, what we talked about before, sort of have the Tim Tams after you do some study, okay? Work first, play later. Make the pact with your future self to be happy, to have pleasure all lifelong, to avoid addiction. And next podcast, we'll look at how this all happens in the brain.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to catching up again next week when we talk about what is dopamine And what does it do to the brain? Will, enjoy your company then.